and welcome to the Gen Up podcast. I'm Jenny Tomei. Can you do me a quick favor? Please subscribe to the channel as it allows us to keep making content for everyone to access. Also, please do share the podcast anyone you feel who may benefit from it. We also have a new co-host to kick off the new year. We've got Becky Stone, who's a psychotherapist, Eastern Disorder Therapist, and we also work together helping young people who are suffering with eating disorders. So you want to ask ask us anything, you can find me on Ask Gen Up on Facebook and on Instagram. So today I'm really excited to introduce our guest. We've got Jenny Langley. So I'm going to tell you a bit about Jenny. So Jenny has worked closely with the eating disorder team of the Institute of Psychiatry for over 15 years and is trained in the new Morsley model. She has become an experienced carer coach for research programs and delivers regular skills workshops for carers, as well as training for facilitators. Since her son recovered from anorexia 20 years ago, Jenny Langley has campaigned to raise more awareness of eating disorders and the impact on the whole family it can have, and to also provide practical help and to support families affected by eating disorders. So she's doing some great work. She's also co-authored the new Morsley skills-based training manual with Professor Janet Treasure, who's also been on the podcast actually, and Jill Todd. So Jenny has also wrote her family's experiences in the book, Boys Get Anorexia 2, and that was published in 2006. And I believe you can get that on Amazon. If I'm wrong, Jenny, let me know. But hi, Jenny, great to have you here. And Becky, both say hi. Hi there, hi, it's really good, good to be here. <laughs> a group of Kent girls. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so I'll kick off with our first question. So I think it's really important to tell us, um, well, tell our audience audience that um, about your workshops and what you do for parents. That would be really good to start off with that. Okay, of course. Um, so um, going, just going back quickly to the research program. So the new Maudsley approach is one of the most, um, the best researched program in eating disorders, actually. So Janet Treasure led all sorts of different research. And I was really, really privileged to be involved right from the start. So the whole spirit of the new Maudsley approach was the question that they were asking in the research is, can we train people like Jenny? So can we train, train lived experience carers with no clinical background to deliver this workshop in a peer-to-peer kind of way um, with carers? And the answer to all of the research has been a resounding yes. So I was involved in the, the research with the carers of adult patients, the research with carers of children and adolescent patients, the research of um, male carers. So it was a really, really um, enriching experience for me, having been a city stockbroker and a chartered accountant. So it was a big change, a big switch of direction for me. Um, and it was a really good learning place, you know. And then um, the new Mauds the Maudsley Hospital, Janet Treasure, collaborated with BEAT, which was then the Eating Sort of Association, to train 12 of us to go back out into the communities so I came back to Kent so go back into the communities to deliver this um these carer skills workshops so we've adapted them over the years you know so we started in 2009 and it was very much PowerPoint based to start with but it was a little bit too didactic it was too much I'm the expert teaching you the carers you need to listen to what I'm saying and that's not the spirit of the model the spirit of the model is carers know their loved one best they're the experts in their own situation. And that's really, really important. So what we can do is empower 
the carers to tap into their own resources to sometimes stand up to the clinicians. You know, there's always that natural tension, isn't there, between a clinical team and family and say, well, you know, we, we understand what you're telling us, but let, let us explain what our loved one was like before the eating disorder came to visit and why we think some of the nuances of what you're telling us to do maybe aren't going to work. It could really backfire. So maybe we could make a few reasonable adjustments. So, so it, now we have a series of now we most of them are on zoom i would love to go back to face to face but we're not quite there yet but most on zoom so they can they're accessible to to carers from all over the country and even from abroad we get people from abroad as well and so we have five two hour workshops and and there's a very clear structure but within that it's a very experiential model so the first set uh, the first session um, explores carers' emotions and the vulnerability of carers and really helping them to think, okay, how can I validate my own emotions? How can I self-care? How can I put my oxygen mask on to make sure my reserves are always topped up? Um, empathy. How can I step into the shoes of my loved one? I don't understand where this eating disorder has come from. I don't understand the power that keeps this going. So we've got some really visual exercises to really help the carers to step into the shoes of the person with the eating disorder. Um, and carers always say, wow, that is kind of like really changing the way I'm looking at this. Um, and so, and there's a bit of psychoeducation around, um, you know, the biopsychosocial model, maintaining factors, um, hypermetabolism, how the brain works. That's all in workshop one. Workshop two is very much about motivational language. So this is the... Um, the model we use, the different language we teach carers to be able to really come alongside their loved ones. And it's so powerful because it was designed initially to elicit thoughts of change in people that don't want to change. And again, carers say, oh, gosh, I'd never thought of speaking to my loved one like that. Um, and we practice, you know, in, in the sessions. And then workshop three very much explores more the caring responses. And workshop four then, um, how can we use everything we've learned to coach our loved ones when they're ready and that's the really important thing so not trying to rush them you know having the patience of a saint and then we have a gap and then workshop five is very much that review and reflect so um you know without fail carers say wow this is just amazing it's so empowering it's so incredible i wish we'd had it sooner is often what people say um and they bond with each other so i always think 50 percent of the benefit of coming to these workshops is that you meet other like-minded carers it's a totally safe place it's completely confidential it's completely non-judgmental and then they get an opportunity to bond with each other and then practice these skills so 50 percent bonding 50 percent they then have a toolkit that they can take away with them and often carers will come back you know after six months because they're in a different place they need a bit of a refresh but yeah. it's we've got such a lovely community you know as, as i was saying earlier jenny i've got about 1100 carers in my network now Wow, that support network is so important. Isn't it really it? is. Yeah. And then we run a monthly online support group. And that's kind of got bigger and bigger because of Zoom. But now we normally will have um, a guest. So whether it's a guest like one of you two, or whether it's a guest of a parent talking about their journey, or whether it's a guest of a clinician, something like that. And the carers really seem to like that. So they'll hear somebody's story, or we'll be talking about some um, approach that might they might be interested in and then of course we'll have an opportunity for the Q&A so that formula seems to work really well and I do that with um, a dad who looked after his adult daughter so we're quite a good kind of um, tag team. That's really great Jenny that everything that you're doing I think I've been I went to one of your zooms actually. I you did yeah about you that did it's really yeah. powerful Jen. Yeah, no, I've actually, yeah, it was really good. And I've also recently, like, 
it's sort of when I go into schools that like I've been talking about um you know because I've spoken to Becky about this I've sort of mentioned I mentioned it once in a workshop that I did and I'm glad that I mentioned it because someone came up to me and said I'm really glad you told me that because I've really resonated with that about how um I was brought up um with a disabled brother yeah. and I was like overlooked and like I yeah. never really and actually Becky brought that to my attention and like I've really had to like work on that like yeah, <laughs> absolutely because you don't want to feel that do you but but if oh. that's, that's in your psyche like you know I need attention please give me attention you know there's this horrible word isn't there or phrase of attention seeking and I always say if a young person's seeking attention it's because they need attention yeah, yeah I think it's what was it called Jen was it glass house yeah, so someone told me about it. It was called like, um, and I don't mind speaking about it because it might help people. So it's called like a glass child syndrome or something. It was glass, oh no, glass child theory. Sorry. Um, yeah, if you're you're brought up with a disabled child, um, you know, and it wasn't my parents' fault. You know, obviously, you know, they they didn't understand what was going on, like, and it was a difficult time. And as I said, they didn't understand the anorexia. I think they were offered some sort of support when I was in the Morsley, but. I don't think they went to it because I didn't really want them to go to it. I was very, I was, you know, I think my behaviours were very much overlooked and I got away with it for way too long. And I think that's really important to like talk about and speak about. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, like I was probably quite in denial that I thought I was recovered and I actually wasn't as well. There was that. Yeah. So, and yeah, and I've really sort of had to work through that. Like, I mean, I only ever really started working through that, you know, pretty much well quite recently you know yes yeah. So, yeah and that's really common I see that all the time Jenny yeah you know so you have to have pauses you know recovery is is so many different stages it's like climbing Mount Everest so you get to first base and then you might be at first base for a long time then you kind of think oh yeah I, I want to go to the next base but then you come back to first base then you get to second and third base but you're not quite ready to go to the fourth base you know so it is that kind of backwards and forwards and carers find that really frustrating so we talk about that a lot in the workshops where often the carers will say well you know we've managed to get the weight on so our loved one is physically safe thank goodness but now it almost feels harder because they're still holding on or in fact, they, they're holding on to some of the existing rules, but they've also got some new rules because that's their way of coping with the eating sort of voice flaring back up. Um, so, yeah, we, we I've got um, a capsule that, that carers really like called when the eating disorder is coexisting with success. Okay. So, you know, you've got an example of a, a an older teenager, young adult who's got to maybe a BMI of 17 or 18 and the parents are desperate for her to go further. But she's she needs a pause. You know, she's back in school she's going to theatre arts club she's learning to drive she's going out with her friends why would she want to make any further changes so you know within the workshops we really really support a lot of families through those later stages because by then they've been the, the young person's been discharged so they're not getting that support network and it would be easy for the parents to go straight back in like a, a rhino like you know you need to gain more weight we're going to make you gain more, more weight we're going to put you back on a meal plan and of course that would really backfire and having that awareness with parents as well, I think it's really important. Absolutely. It's like a, it's like a grieving cycle. Completely. It's a grief is like glitter. You can't always predict when it's going to hit you. And leaving your anorexic self is like a grief cycle and it's got different stages. And Definitely. then there'd be certain triggers and certain things that you might 
it's like a comfort blanket you might come back to it and then hopefully you've got the tools to bounce back out of it exactly so you start to become more resilient yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it's the same with the carers because they're going through a grief process as well you know they're they're grieving for the lost childhood you know that so initially most carers would say well i want my son or daughter back and i i thought that i want my son back and then i realized no i don't want exactly that son back because that was the son that got the eating disorder and his was very much exercise driven. Um, so what we want to do is help our son to become his new resilient self. And it was really, really interesting to watch that process. And Janet Treasure always talks about this concept of post-traumatic growth. So it's really stressful. So that so it's a it's a stressful situation, caring for or living with an eating disorder. Then you go through a period of post-traumatic stress, particularly if you've been hospitalized, particularly if you've had nasogastric feeding under restraint. So you go through a period of kind of like almost that grieving, maybe post-traumatic stress, maybe needing a bit of um, therapeutic support with that. And then many people come out the side, out the other side as stronger, vibrant, passionate, like you two, you know, doing what you do now is that, it's, you know, it's defined as post-traumatic growth. And carers love to hear that concept. They go, oh, wow, that's really something good to be looking forward to in the future. It's interesting how many people who've had eating disorders then go back to work in the field, isn't it? It's making, it's trying to use what's happened into Absolutely. in a positive. positive, yeah, and making a difference. And I think most of my clients, hopefully, I share my, some of my experience, but most of them can really understand, they relate, and they're like, it's like a relief that you Absolutely. get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that allows to build sort of a really good, meaningful therapeutic relationship as well. I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, when they're ready. So, you know, carers being able to tolerate that maybe their loved ones need a, a gap. They need a bit of a break from therapeutic intervention and they can come back to it later. You know, it's not a race, is it? It's a marathon. I yeah. say it's like Nanny McPhee. When you need me, I'm here. <laughs> and when you don't, I disappear. And yeah. it's about having that healthy attachment. And exactly. sometimes it's like, I know clients don't need me. So I then will say, how about come back in about six weeks time we just do a check-in and then I and then see where they're at in six weeks they've got all that gorgeous resilience and they may stay like that for a little while so it's slightly different from a different type of therapeutic like if I was working with sort of anxiety and depression I think yeah. with eating disorders you need more support around it to keep that relapse at bay yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so on top of the series of workshops I described, I do these topical sessions. And one of them is a relapse contingency workshop. So really thinking about that forward looking. So um, one of the things I always show the carers is like a timeline that depicts my son's journey. Um, and they really relate to that. So the emotional journey of the carers very much mirrors where their loved one is on their journey. I'm sure you'd agree with that. It's like a mirror, isn't it? And um, and carers always go, yeah, and they could draw their own version of this historic timeline. Um, and then I say, so our evidence base, the research tells us that your emotional journey will become much smoother. And then that feeds back the other way. The mirror reflects back the other way that your loved ones will feel that the wind has changed and the environment is calmer and they feel more able to stand up to the eating sort of voice. So, you know, it's really, really interesting. And then you, so you've got the historic view, but then you take that timeline forward. You know, what does tomorrow, what does next weekend, what does next week, next month, next five months, next year look like? And really helping the carers to start to think, you know, let's make sure there's lots of joy coming, you know, joy and playfulness and fun. Um, and let's anticipate any things that might 
you know, make our loved one vulnerable. And then and then they can help their loved one to do the same thing. So that's a, you know, it's a really, really important part of the, the whole process. And I do lots of other topical sessions as well. So yesterday I was doing um, a perfectionist se session and a self-harm session. Last week I did autism and the teenage brain separately. Um, yeah. Next week I'm doing binge purge and meal planning. Um, so these topical workshops are more where people can just dip in and out so they can just come for that half that half day um and often carers will come who've been to the series of workshops but often I get new carers who then will do the series of workshops so it works in a really nice way the um I uh, saw that I saw an email you got on doing that I think because um I, I see a lot of the autism and anorexia now absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. well I'm actually working with that I've got a couple of clients with mm. that so and with the yeah. exercise part of it as well um absolutely with the exercise so yeah. I've decided that I want to do more training in that area because that's something that I went through um yeah I find it yeah I find it interesting like it's really interesting and obviously Bernie Wright and her team are now doing that kind of autism focused neurodivergent focused um training as well um and I dip in and out of that as well because you know we're always learning aren't we like you know I've been doing this since 2000 well 2004 really when my son recovered um but we're always there's always new things there's always new learning and my autism session is one of the most popular like people are always saying when's the next one when's the next one when's the next one yeah. clinicians as well so you know the clinicians are still finding their way because there's no clear pathway there's not a nice guideline that says this is how to support somebody who's got coexisting autism and eating disorders um and then we've got the whole kind of can of worms of ARFID which often goes with autism but not always so you know we're always learning yeah I had a question about Arthur yesterday because I was in the school yesterday but um I know the NHS don't treat it they don't work with it do they some do now yeah some some yeah. so it's postcode really isn't it so some services yeah. now incorporate Arthur and some don't um and they're having to because they're getting so many people coming forward and what's happening is that if the eating disorders section of CAMS or the adult services doesn't take our fit they're ending up in CAMS who don't have the expertise yeah. the key yeah. thing the key thing with every patient whether they're neurodivergent or neurotypical is that person-centered approach so mm. think about this Jenny I always think about this and I talk to Janet Treasure about this and she's like mm, yeah you've got a point here so when when a neurotypical brain becomes starved it acts in a very neurodivergent way doesn't it yeah all the the rigid rules the difficulty communicating socially being super sensitive so lots of sensory issues that maybe didn't exist before so we know that with people who are neurodivergent we need to be person-centered or it's never going to work particularly if they've got pathological demand avoidance which I hate that phrase I call it pervasive drive for autonomy but particularly you know if you if you say I'm in charge I'm going to tell you what to do it's just going to be a war zone but if, if a neurotypical brain is starved, we still need to be person-centered. And it's interesting when I'm doing clinical training and I say that and they're like, yeah, we're really, really starting to cut, to understand that more. Mm -hmm. So, and all the young, you know, you've got some dinosaurs in the system, in any system, haven't you? There's some dinosaurs, yeah. no, this is our protocol. This is our pathway. This is what we do. And then the younger ones will say, but yeah, we can adapt that a little bit. And then it will be so much more successful. So that's what the beauty of the new Maudsley model is that it's a really person-centered model. So carers can take it away and adapt it for their own situations, for their loved one's own unique situations. Yeah, no, it's great. It's interesting what you say about the neurological. So I'm obviously really interested in that. Like, yeah. So I was like, I was super rigid, like super yeah. rigid, everything. Yeah. 
yeah. no my son was um, absolutely yeah yeah it's so fascinating that I mean um because we've got only got a few minutes left I think like it'd be good to finish off with sort of you know if a parent's listening to this and they discover their child is struggling with their feeds like how what advice would you give for them how would they approach it in terms of language I get asked that a lot yeah yeah so first of all keep a diary so if you're worried you know as a as a parent if you're worried often there's something going on there isn't there so just keep a log because it's so easy to forget isn't it and that means what that means so and that log wouldn't just be what they're eating or if you think they've lost weight it would be about their mood about social withdrawal any changes in behavior so just keep a keep a keep a notebook and then what happens is when you go to the GP, so get them to the GP as quickly as possible. And often the way to get to the GP is say, oh, you know, we're just going to go and have a, you know, a, a physical checkup. So, you know, you're at that age where it's a really good idea to have a physical checkup. So rather than saying, I think you've got an eating disorder, in which case they're going, I'm fine, leave me alone. I'm not going to go to the GP. And even a 12 year old, you can't make to go to the GP if they stick their heels in and say, I'm not going. So maybe book a physical checkup. And then when you go to the GP, you know, have all that information there. So it's not just a snapshot. So the first time I went to the GP with my son and he weighed him and he tested his heart rate and his bloods and did those simple observations, he said, oh, Sam, you've got an amazing six pack. Don't mummy's fuss. So it kind of put me off. But he'd never met my son because my son had always been a really healthy boy. So he didn't know that history. If I'd written a diary and I said, this is what's happened in the last six weeks, he might have taken it a bit more seriously. Now, my son carried on losing weight, so we kept going back, and then eventually he ended up in hospital. So it ran away from us. Um, but for, that often doesn't happen, does it? It's more of a steady, steady, steady kind of creep. So keeping a diary, going to the GP. Beat have a lovely leaflet about going to the GP. Um, yeah. Look on to workshops. You know, so Beat in certain areas run these workshops. We now run. I'm I'm running the workshops, so anyone can just inquire to my email. Um, we've got at the Charlie Waller Trust, we've got all these new trainers. So there's more options for coming to the workshops. But even at the earliest stage, you know, that might be enough to help you to nip it in the bud. But the most important thing is that you don't go in, in with welly boots and say, I think you've got an eating disorder. Because most young people would go, absolutely not. You don't understand me. You're not listening to me. You're just paranoid. Leave me alone. And then you've broken down the communication. So just... I've noticed, so just notice what's going on for them. I noticed you're a bit withdrawn, darling. You seem a bit tired. I've noticed that you're getting cold and just go in that way. But make sure you're doing as many fun, playful things as possible at the same time, because it's so easy to get sucked into what's wrong with the person because you're scared and you forget the real person. So making sure that there's joy and fun um, and playfulness within the family setting it's hard but really really trying to do that making a conscious effort making a conscious effort to smile we know that teenage brains are super sensitive to frowning and criticism <laughs> I think you've got an eating disorder with a big frown on your face mm. you know the oxytocin is going to go down and the cortisol is going to go up <laughs> in that yeah, moment yeah. so so let's think about that the best way to keep the oxytocin up is smiling laughter playfulness you know there's loads of research behind this so um so I think I've covered it haven't I so write everything down get to the GP as soon as you possibly can often the GPs will say well you're not meeting the bar to get a referral get on the workshops 
Yep. And then you're you're going to be armed with so many tips and skills that maybe you can help turn things around. Not always, of course. Sometimes it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but maybe you can. And I've seen some families coming at early stages and then they've come back to me and said, oh, thank goodness we came at that early stage. We managed to turn it around in five months. So, yeah, that's my advice. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Jenny, for all your great advice. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very honoured. <laughs> no, it's been great to have you. And uh, Becky, do you want to say any final words before we finish up or anything? Or I would just say, um, I agree with Jenny, early intervention and that support network is so important because the eating disorder for the young person is so isolating. So for the carers to have that voice and be able that knowledge is power and to be able to help empower the young person to move forward is so important no great Absolutely. yeah and um jenny where can everyone find you website social media so my website is newmaudsleycarers-kent.co.uk um, and on my website there's all of the um, worksheets from the model there you can just download them from my website you don't have to buy the, the training manual so it's like 130 worksheets and for all the core exercises I've made videos and podcasts to go with them so right. you know, if you're visual you can watch a video if you're audio you can listen to a podcast in the car on the dog walk so for me it's really important that this is all really freely accessible and lots of families who come to the workshops will then share all of that with their wider family network amazing that's great so everyone go check that out please so thank you so much jenny thank you so much becky um i've been your host jenny tomay this is the gen up podcast um you can find us on facebook and on instagram at ask gen up and on our website at genup.com we also have resources available there as well of course please like subscribe and share the podcast and i'm also actually on tiktok at jen tomay so I'm on every social media platform at the minute. <laughs> but thanks everyone so much for listening and take care. Thanks, Thank Jenny. You. Bye. See you later. Bye.